You can decide. Easter weekend services are obviously this coming weekend. Uh, we have a Good Friday service planned at 6 o'clock on Friday evening. And we have some, just some beautiful elements planned for that that I think will enable you to glory in the cross work of Christ and also to uh, kind of walk with Jesus in and through those moments of the last hours of his physical life uh, prior to the resurrection. Uh, for Easter Sunday morning, we will have two services, and uh, a critical part of that is for the early service at 9 o'clock, we will require a mask for the duration of that service, okay? Uh, the reason we're doing that is we have a number of folks who are not able to attend on a regular basis due to concerns for extended family and personal medical concerns that would like to attend on Easter Sunday. So due to that concern... The early service next Sunday, we will be requiring mass for the duration of the service. And then the 1030 service will be as per normal. We have our guidelines posted. We don't police that heavily, but um, just uh, that we'll be doing that service as per uh, what our normal protocol has been during this season of difficulty. I just want to lead us in prayer. Uh, and let's uh, just prepare our hearts to worship the Lord together. Why don't you stand with me if you would? Father, we, your church, stand before you today grateful. Grateful that the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all of our sin. And Lord, out of joy and hope in the deliverance that you give to us through the work of Christ, we want this morning to join our voices in praise to you, uh, to glory in Jesus, uh, to exalt Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as we sing, you will make truth clear to us and give us a united joy in Christ as we sing together. Bless this service, glorify Christ, and encourage our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's worship together.
Bursting past the border 
celebrate your triumphant entry, you setting up your kingdom and the plan in motion to die on the cross for us, to give up your life for us so that we can go free. We thank you that 2,000 years later, that is the only thing that matters, and that the creator and the God of this universe has died for us. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for continuing to change us to make us into something new, something different, ultimately like Jesus. We ask God this morning that you would be glorified by our singing and by our listening to your word, Lord. We ask for your blessing over the Hoving Home ladies now as they sing and as they give their testimonies, Lord. We look forward to that. May you continue to be glorified in this service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Monday, the crowd said, Hosanna, O save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. For Easter, or I'm sorry, for Palm Sundays for the last, I don't know, it's 20, it seems like it's 20 years, Beth. I, I don't know. We were younger. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> we had the blessing of meeting uh, Beth and getting introduced to a ministry that has blessed so many people. And for which it's just awesome to be part of a ministry in which God is working and saving, redeeming, delivering, and changing lives, not only for time, uh, but for eternity. So we're grateful to have you all with us today. Uh, the Hubbing Home, just for those of you that don't know about it, is a wonderful ministry that we have supported in many ways. It's at least over 15 years. A number of our folks are personally involved in counseling, teaching Bible studies at the home that is now over in Oxford. Uh, the primary ministry of this group is to aid those who are caught in the destructive life patterns by sharing the hope that is found in Jesus. Today the choir is smaller, but the stories are not smaller. Uh, the message of God's hope uh, through the lives of you ladies today that will share with us uh, encourage our hearts deeply. And uh, we enter in with you, we sympathize, we empathize, and we celebrate with you uh, what God desires to do. So I'm going to ask uh, all of you to come and introduce Beth, who is the president of the organization, to uh, lead us into this season of worship. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you here. Thank you. Good morning. It is great to be with you. When I think of this church and where we are now here in New Jersey, you know, and the story of Esther, God did a lot of things behind the scene before we actually saw it moving. And um, when I think about us coming to New Jersey, we had already been set up for success here because of the involvement in churches with our New York home and this church being one of the primary ones. And so, yeah, it's got to be at least 20 years 
And um, y'all were so faithful to make that almost two-hour drive to New York to drop off things and partner with us and do serve days and give to us. And so when we um, found the property in Oxford in 2016, I believe, and um, I called over and said, hey, we're moving to New Jersey. I think we had more volunteers before we opened the door than we even have in New York. So um, that was so much because of this church and your faithfulness to us. And, and we're just thrilled that we could be here this morning. I love coming here on Palm Sunday. And I'm so glad that we um, we got to do it this year. It's been a, a tough last year, hasn't it? ups and downs and information and misinformation and decisions and it, it has been for our ministry too but um the one thing that so when with this whole covid thing first started the lord gave me a scripture and it was in second chronicles in chapter 20 and verse 12 and it was at the time where everybody was trying to decide you know it was we were going to be locked down for two weeks remember when they said that and um it, we can do anything for two weeks right and, um, and then it got longer, and we were trying to figure out how we were going to handle what was happening with our ministry. And the Lord took me to that verse, and it says, you know, when the army is coming against us and we don't know what to do, we'll fix our eyes on you. And that's kind of been our mantra this whole last year is when we don't know what to do, when the experts don't know what to do, we're just going to fix our eyes on you. And he has proven so faithful we did not miss a step. We did some pivoting and did some things differently in the ministry and were able to spend some time doing some things we had wanted to, but we had been too busy. And I hope you felt that way sometimes. You know, we kind of had some time where we could just really focus in on some internal and not have to worry about external things for a little bit. So there was a lot that we did. And and um, and so glad that churches are starting to open back up and we can be back doing what we do um, best, and that's being with you. So what we are at Hoving Home, if you've never heard of us, is we're just really a loving community. We're devoted to rebuilding and empowering women to fulfill their God-given purpose. We give an opportunity for them to change. We don't change them. We give an opportunity for them to change. As they meet Jesus, then their lives begin to be transformed. Over 26,000 women have entered our doors since 1967, and that's exciting for us. People that have come to hear the gospel and, um, and their lives to be changed. We have five programs in four states. We started out in 67 in New York, and we have women there. And in 2019, we actually opened our very first Women with Children program, and it's on the New York campus, so women can bring their children with them during their stay. And then we um, opened in Pasadena, California, I believe it was in 87, and Las Vegas, Nevada in 2006, and Oxford, New Jersey in 2017. We launched that. Women right now are the fastest growing population of alcohol and drug users in America. And I don't think last year would have changed that. I think it would still be on the rise. Um, we saw over the last 10 years the opioid problem being a huge epidemic in our country. And we were actually, as a recovery community across the nation, really seeing those numbers go down and really helping people. We will see and are starting to get the numbers in for 2020, overdoses doubling again. I think the number that I saw um, last week in one of the SAMHSA reports was 88,000 overdoses in 2020. And um, that's about double of where it had been. Um, 
the COVID situation wreaked havoc on the recovery community. As churches closed, as groups stopped, as communities stopped, I've once heard it said that um, the opposite of addiction is connection. And we need to be connected to to be um, to, to be successful when we're coming out of addiction and other life-controlling problems. And we didn't have that in 2020. And so it really wreaked havoc. And so there will be a rebuild now, and we're just thrilled that we get to be a part of that. But what we do is we have a 6-month and a 12-month program. It's a, a biblically-based curriculum. But we start off with just compassionate care. The first month is really just providing a warm bed and good food to eat and a safe place to be. And the only requirement for the women coming in is just a desire to change, a desire for something to be different. The second is laying the foundation. This is our biblical discipleship curriculum. This is really the foundation. So the first six months is is just um, teaching them who Jesus is, that he loves them, and then seeing them begin to change because the word gets into them. And as Christians, we know and believe that freedom comes through the word of God. There's a scripture that talks about that we shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. But actually that means that we shall know that we know that we know. That means that we know and we live it out. Then we'll be set free. Because just knowing it and knowledge isn't enough to be free. But living it out is. And so we do that in that that first six months. And then um, preparing for the future. So our last six months is really focused on getting people ready to go. And um, helping them figure out what their skill sets are, what their passions are, and beginning to set them up to to leave. We know that um, relapse is caused oftentimes because of a lack of financial independence. And, um, and so we really try to get them on track to be able to live in a way where they are financially independent so they're not having to depend on others or get back into a situation or get discouraged. You know, when, when you can't make choices because you're financially strapped, you get really discouraged with your life. And so we help them. We, we actually, in 2020, launched our new career lab. And um, in, New, in New York, New Jersey's actually got approval to go into a couple weeks ago. So that's launching this week. And I'm um, just really um, helping them get on track. So they might want to be in full-time Christian work. They might want to go into um, a vocation. But we know that's ministry too, right? I don't call it ministry. It's full-time Christian work because work is ministry too. And then also college and career. And so um, three tracks, we really try to set them on the one that works for them. And in this phase, a desire to learn is key. And then day 366 and beyond. So they've completed our one-year program. What happens next? So we have aftercare. We have transitional um, options. And here they just have a desire to launch, to go. This is a really exciting and scary time. They've been somewhere really safe and and um, helpful and community for a year. And now it's like, boom, we're going to send you somewhere else. So we have some transitional homes. We also, within our own network, have some completers programs. We um, have a leadership academy that we launched in January of this year that um, people can go through to learn how to be in full-time Christian work. That's housed at our New York campus. And um, and so we're excited to see what women do after they leave because that's the real test, right? 
Oftentimes you can do well in a program. The real test is when you get out and can you live it out. And so for those that actually complete and graduate our program, and graduation means they've done well for six months or more before they can come back and graduate, about 87% of our women never return to their old way of life. And, um, and that, that's, that's amazing, but it's really only because of one reason. Our goal is not sobriety. It's life transformation through Jesus Christ. And sober is just a side effect of being transformed. And so we don't focus a lot on being sober, being sober. We focus on transformation, transformation, transformation. And so there's some ways for you to be involved. And you already do a lot of these as a church. But first you can pray for us. Pray for our women that are currently in the program. Change is not easy. If you've ever had to change something, you know it's tough. So pray that that they would be able to overcome shame and guilt and the things that go with addiction and that God would just minister to them. Pray for our ministry as a whole as um, the Lord provides for us and allows us to do amazing things. You can also participate, and there's many sitting in this room that already do. You come and volunteer, but if you're interested in volunteering, um, you can go online and fill out an application for a volunteer, and we'll contact you. And we'd love to have you come and be a part. And you can also partner with us. And that means financially. You can be a financial partner. You can go online and if you sign up um, as a, a monthly donor, you're a part of our One Lady at a Time partnership program. And we would love to have you do that and be a part of that. This morning you can also, you were handed a program when you came in. There is a blank piece of paper in it that you can tear off, a coupon. You can fill that out this morning and if you'll take it to the table at the end, we have a free One Lady at a Time book for you. And this is the miracle of how the home started. And we just revised it to have up to to now. And so we would love to get, put that in your hands and, and give it to you. We also just want to offer ourselves um, as a referral. I know that when I speak in front of a crowd this big, you may be, somebody in this room may be struggling with a life control problem or somebody you know may be. And we are available to help. We're available to help find referrals, to, to be available to the women in your life that may fit our criteria. But we would love to help you find help. And I just encourage you to never give up. Never give up on those that you love that struggle with addiction. Because God is more than able. It talks about in Ephesians how we were dead in our sin and our trespasses. But God, who is rich in mercy. And can we all say, but God, who is rich in mercy. Man, he changed our lives, right? And so thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. I'm going to invite the choir to start making their way up. We've got a couple songs and testimonies this morning. And um, I pray that when we're done here that, that you just know that there's hope. Hope for a different life. And these women are miracles of that hope. Did you have something? I just want to quick say, if you have children, they teach us for junior church. And Okay, great. And I'm going to introduce Jillian as the girls are lining up. And she's going to come and share her story with you. Thank you. Okay. Good morning. Um, <laughs> I felt myself getting red before I even came up here. So, um, My name is Jillian, and I'm 35 years old. I was born and raised in Brattleboro, Vermont, by a single mother. I never knew my father. Uh, growing up, I had a normal childhood. I played the clarinet and loved it. I did so from fourth to twelfth grade. I loved baseball and I twirled baton. <laughs> um, in middle school, however, I became—I started smoking weed. I like quit softball and all that. Um, 
in high school, I became addicted to Adderall, and that kind of followed me, along with the marijuana. Um, was like my best friend until last year. Um, and let's see, I'm a little nervous. Um, so when I was 22, I became pregnant. I was able to quit the Adderall throughout my pregnancy. A week before my 23rd birthday, I had my wonderful son, Avon, who is going to be 13 this year. And um, shortly after that, I was, uh, you know, a social drinker a little bit. I became pregnant. I didn't know I was pregnant. And I ended up losing that child while my boyfriend was visiting his brother in St. Vincent. Um, when he returned, he ended up leaving me and running off with somebody else. And so that just left me in like a worse depression than I was already in. Uh, and shortly after that, I started getting harassed by his new girlfriend, which brought me even lower. I couldn't forgive him for the longest time. I couldn't forgive myself for the longest time. Um, anger and bitterness was kind of setting up a home inside me. And, um, you know, it took a couple years and then I was eventually able to forgive. Um, just happened on the inside. It was definitely spirit-led, um, and it showed on the outside. Um, <laughs> and uh, let's see. So, but at that point, I was—I had a very high tolerance to liquor. Um, I was drinking every day. I would work and drive and function pretty normal, but I was starting to vomit up blood. I was sick of um, watching life pass me by and not really living. Um, so um, I heard about the Hobing Home from my cousin's wife who had been through the program and had worked for the home. So on January 8, 2020, I came into the home. After a few months of being here, I had peace and like no anxiety and an abundance of joy. And, uh, but I still had one foot out the door. I would miss my son and family. Um, after eight months of being at the home, I left. It was a huge mistake, and I knew as I was leaving, the spirit was telling me not to go, but I did it anyway. Um, within two weeks, I was calling to come back. I had panic and worry, anxiety, that I, it was far worse than I had ever experienced before. Um, so September 26, 2020, I came back to the home exactly four weeks from the time that I left. Um, since I've been back, I have peace again, knowing I'm right where God wants me. And uh, he's really just working on my heart right now, and I'm learning to trust him more and more and surrender fully to him. <laughs> my future plans, there's a lot of things I'd like, look, love to do, um, but I kind of want to go back to farming. I like to grow plants, so that's something I've always done. And, uh, but wherever he leads me, I'm going to follow. And the scripture I leave you with is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. <laughs> which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you. 
souls off my feet. I found redemption on my knees. You gave me hope. You gave me something to believe. Now I'm alive and born again. Rescued from the grip of sin. God, your love came crashing in and pulled me out of the fire. I'm a survivor. Oh, I'm a survivor. Bethany and I was born December 1st 1982 and I grew up in Long Island on Long Island um, I'm the third out of four siblings um, I grew up in a Christian home my father he was a minister and uh, he was very extreme with his Christian beliefs um, on the outside we just looked like the perfect family and at home he was abusive at times and my mother on the other end, she was um, really just exhibited God's unconditional love. Uh, she was a strong woman of God, really kind and elegant. So there were two very big extremes. She was like all grace and he was all law. And for me, that was very confusing. And um, so that I wouldn't get abused or get into trouble, I just didn't talk much at all. I was, you know, knew better not to say anything. And... Um, when I turned 13 years old, my father, he turned his back on the Lord, and he left the church and left my family. So I remember feeling really confused, frustrated, and like alone. I acted out, and when I was 14 years old, um, within one year, I was kicked out of three separate schools. My mom tried to do everything she could to help me, and I refused her help. I was very rebellious, and... 
I was put on pins. So that is like underage probation. And when they put me on pins, I left home. And I was living at friends' houses, on the streets, getting high and drinking every day. Um, when I did turn 17 years old, me and my boyfriend, we had a baby. And my daughter, she inspired me to be a better person. And I wanted to do the right thing. So I was renewing and restoring my relationship with my mom, my siblings. And I was working. I didn't go back to school, but I was working a lot and with my family. And when I turned 19 years old, my oldest brother, he died in a car accident. Within two years, my mother, she died of unknown causes and what I believe to be of a broken heart. When my mother passed away, I stopped crying. Like, I was just shocked and it traumatized me. So I started working even more. And I was still using. I was very prideful and didn't think that I was that bad. Um, I was in denial. I just worked a lot, took care of my family. I was taking my kids to church, my daughter to church. But I was still, um, I rewarded myself with a drink. Um, I rewarded myself with like, you know, work, you know, hard work paid off. I could have a drink, I paid the bills. Um, you know, it's my house, my family. Nobody could tell me anything. Um, I'm not that bad, you know. I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. I would always have an excuse. If my family wanted to tell me anything or help me, I refused to listen to them. I was in denial. And when, um, as I got older, my I had a baby boy. I was pregnant with my son, and that was just another reason for me to work hard and be very independent on myself. I ran my life, and um, it got to the point where I didn't even depend on God. Um, and uh, the Lord, he really did put a lot of like stop signs and warning signs in my path, and I knew it too, but I was just so afraid to let go of control, and um, I really couldn't surrender to him. Um, you know, fast forwarding, it was about 2016, um, I was about 34 years old, and I lost everything. I wasn't able to hold it together. Little by little, I was losing things and getting more into my addiction with cocaine, um, alcohol, and hiding it from people. Um, so at that point, I lost everything, and my home, my apartment, my car, you know, my kids had to go live with their fathers, and when I didn't have anyone to take care of, I just had to look at myself, and that was a really hard thing to live with. I got very depressed without my family. Um, I ended up getting into, like, illegal activity, and um, I was sniffing heroin, um, smoking crack, drinking. Um, I couldn't live with myself the things that I was doing, so I would get high every day and go out and do a lot of illegal activity. I ended up getting eight warrants, and I went to jail, and that wasn't enough for me. I sat in jail for a month. You would think that was enough, um, that that was my rock bottom, but it, it wasn't. In 2019, I overdosed on three separate occasions. And um, I would just wake up in the hospital, look at the papers, and I'd call my driver to come get me and go back to work and make money. I was like, I'll just get some money and I'll get out of this. But I had to get more high to live with myself and the things I was doing. So on one of those occasions, my son, who was 11, um, he was 10 at the time, he came to visit me. His father let him come and see me. I was at a pool party, and he went to surprise me, and he jumped on the tube I was laying out. 
And they thought I was just, you know, closing my eyes, getting some sun. And when he jumped on the tube, my eyes rolled in the back of my head and I overdosed. I was overdosing and I sank to the bottom of the pool. And I was dead for over eight minutes. I went into cardiac arrest and he had to Narcan me twice. Um, if it wasn't for my son doing that, I probably wouldn't be here. I haven't seen him since that day. I did um, call my father after that, um, and I said, what was that um, place upstate in the mountains um, with the women, the choir? Where, where is that place? I need to really go and get help. And he called some friends, and I got here. And when I came here, like, I completely surrendered, like, my sister, I remember her saying, you know, you sound different. Something's different this time. And when I got on the property, I really just felt like the peace of the Lord. Like, if you ever experienced the Holy Spirit, you know what I mean. Like, it was like a huge weight was just lifted off of me. And um, the restoration within the last... I'm going on my ninth month. I got here in July. The restoration that the Lord's doing in my life with my family is amazing. With my father, my kids, um, and the Lord's showing me, you know, more and more each day that I need to just surrender to him and let go of my own plans. So I don't have plans for the first time in my life. <laughs> And I'm not in a rush to either. Um, I have decided to stay here at the home. And when I do graduate, I'm going to go into their completers program and stay another six months to a year. And I'm working on getting my diploma. I started doing that for my GED. So I'm really excited about what the Lord has in store for me. Um, and the scripture that I stand on is Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Oh! 
nothing like hearing testimonies of what God does amazingly in people's hearts and lives. He, he is a God who transforms. He is a God who, who saves. And uh, no longer burdened by guilt, no longer burdened by condemnation, no longer burdened by those shackles that you can be free. I mean, so, so thank you so much for that testimony. Thank you so much for those songs. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13? Mark chapter 13. Now I will say this up front. <laughs> I was talking to uh, the pastoral staff um, earlier. And as we come to this passage, uh, this is a challenging passage uh, that we're going to be looking at. Uh, there are... Um, Diverging views and interpretations on it. There may be even diverging views among the pastoral staff as we look at this, which which is okay. This is good. Um, challenged by my brothers, and as we look at this passage, hopefully what we are going to find is a call to perpetual preparedness, that God is calling us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to be aware, to be awake, He's calling us to be alert 
And he's also calling us to be gospel-saturated people that are sharing it out in the world. So even as we may differ on some levels of interpretation, the reality is this. The key aspect of it is be alert, be prepared for the last days, and be gospel-saturated in your lives. So, So look with me here in Mark chapter 13. Let me just read the first several verses, and then I'll give you a little bit of an overview. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There are not one here, I'm sorry, there will not be here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he sat down on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, and Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign when all of these things will be accomplished. Okay, this is the word of the Lord. So as I said, this is a challenging passage. If you want to mark in your notes, there are parallel passages in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21, the parallel passages. And this is called the Olivet Discourse, or the, uh, the Discourse on the Mount of Olives. And what we're going to find is this, that as I said, there is some interpretive challenges that are going to be here in this passage. Uh, as I get a chance to read it and work through uh, this section with you, there are going to be some that are going to believe that this is primarily talking about the second coming and the Lord's uh, return. And so they're going to look at most of what we're going to talk about in Mark chapter 13 as what's going to happen in the future. Uh, There's a second group of people that are going to look back and they're going to say that most of this connects to the fall of Jerusalem, which happened in A.D. 70. And then there are people that are kind of in the middle where they're going to say it's a little bit of what happened in the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And then there's some future aspects. Um, I tend to lean that way, but we'll talk a little bit more as we move forward. Now, what, what have we been learning? Jesus has come into Jerusalem, and as he's come into Jerusalem, what has happened is this, is that he went immediately to the temple. Now, he's come into Jerusalem, he came in, mounted, and they were crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who's coming in the name of the Lord. And he comes in that way, and there is this and great praise and encouragement for him. And now what we find is this, is that you remember he went to the temple, and as we've heard in other sermons, that he went to the temple, and as he's going to the temple, inevitably what he's doing is he's overthrowing these money changers. He's looking and he's seeing the deception that is happening and and the defilement of this temple, and he, in his anger, says, out of here. And then what Jesus does is now he is having these conversations with the scribes and the Pharisees and he is condemning them for their failure to lead God's people. The temple itself has been defiled and its leadership has been defiled. And Jesus has been having these statements over and over, these conversations. You remember the cursing of the fig tree and other things that have been happening early part of this week. Now we're in the middle part of the week, perhaps Wednesday. And Jesus is coming to the temple, uh, perhaps, for the last time. We don't know. And Jesus is now going to have a conversation with his disciples. Now, this temple is this amazing building. Um, Josephus, as he's writing the temple, was telling us that the size of just the stones in the temple are so immense. And I want to just pull that out. He had said that just one stone was a 
about 25 cubits in length, 8 cubits in height, and 12 cubits in width. And I was talking to Don earlier, the, the width of this stage here from door to door is about 50 feet. One of the stones would have been about 45 feet long. The height of the stones, just one of them, would have been about 15 feet, which is from the floor to the ceiling. And then it's 20 feet out. That's just one stone, which is just mind-blowing to think about. They had no cranes, no hydraulics. How did they do this? It's just amazing. Now, if Josephus is correct, when Jesus says that one of the stones, maybe the size of that side wall, your side wall's there. Just the size, that's one stone that would be turned on top of another. So Jesus is now going to have this conversation. They're coming out of the temple, and his disciples are overwhelmed with what the temple looks like. Look at these wonderful stones. Look at the beauty of this temple. And then Jesus begins his argument. He says this, do you see this building? He says this, There will not be one stone left upon another that will not be uprooted. Uh, Some believe that that is connected to the fall of Jerusalem, which happened in A.D. 70. And when the Roman army came in, what ended up happening was this, that um, the Roman army came in. Oh, I should tell you that these walls were created, these stones were created out of uh, white granite. And then a side of the wall was coated in gold. And the thought was, from Josephus, is that there was a fire, an accidental fire that had occurred, and it melted some of the gold along the side of the building, and that the gold went down underneath the stones, and as the Romans came in and invaded, what they wanted to do was to lift up these stones to get as much of the gold as they possibly could. The Colosseum apparently was funded by the gold that had come off the temple. So, Jesus says this, do you see these great buildings? There will not be one left, one stone left upon the other that will not be thrown down. Now, I don't don't know about you that, um, you know, we have some national monuments here in the United States and we have our, our White House and we have the Lincoln Memorial, we have the Capitol. And no matter where your political persuasions are, um, hopefully not, you know, to see people trouncing into a capital was kind of off-putting for us as a nation. That, that people are, are breaking down into this building. But, but don't just think about a political landscape. I want you to think about the religious center of your life is this temple. And to think that somebody is going to come in and invade that temple, that was off-putting to these disciples. These disciples were somewhat overwhelmed by hearing this. They were in awe of the building, and now they're going to hear that somebody's going to come in and do this. So I want you to think about that, that this magnificent building, this magnificent structure is going to be overwhelmed and taken over. Well, then Jesus is now asked by the disciples, verse 3, as he sat down, uh, Mount of Olives, he goes east out of the city, and he is now opposite the temple. 
And Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, verse 3, ask him privately, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign that all of these things will be accomplished. And I find it interesting that that is the type of questions that we tend to ask when we think about the end times, right? All of us tend to ask these questions, when will it happen and what will the signs be? In fact, somebody made a lot of money writing a lot of books and having movies over this one topic area, Left Behind series, right? And he made a lot of money off of this, and I mean, most of it was, well, whatever, made up, I guess, um, his thoughts of what was happening. But the reality is this, that is a key element for all of us, what is going to happen in the future. When is it going to happen and why? And what do we need to do about it? So Jesus basically says to them this. He, they ask these questions of him. And Jesus is interesting. Jesus answers, he begins to answer the second question before he answers the first question. So watch here what he does in verse 5. And I'm going to try to focus on four or five imperatives that he gives us in this passage. He goes here and he says, see to it. That no one leads you astray, first imperative. Jesus began by saying, see to it that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. So Jesus begins and he says, see to it. Take heed, be alert, be watchful, stay awake, be mindful that this is coming. Jesus' counsel is, is pastoral. His counsel is practical. We need that. His, his counsel in this, in this pastoral way is he's shepherding them. He's nurturing them. He is trying to teach them and encourage them. But it's practical because he's giving them concrete things to do. He says, I want you to see to it that no one takes you astray. Now, the warning is that false leaders and false religious leaders are going to come. Now, whether this is before the fall of the temple in AD 70 or in the end times or in both, false teachers have come. And we've seen that in our culture. We have people that are coming and believing that they are identifying themselves as the Messiah. Or they're saying that they have been commissioned by the Messiah. And so what is ending up happening is this. These false religious teachers are out there. And Jesus is giving the heart of this warning. I want you to know that people are going to come saying that they're in my name, but they're not. And here's the need is this, that many will fall astray. We see this even today. I mean, it's sad for me as a pastor, sad for us as a pastoral staff, when we see people turning on what they say is Christian radio or Christian TV, and the stuff that is out there that's in the name of Christ is not biblical and that so many people just because it's on a christian network quote unquote they believe that it's the truth and believers are being led astray and non-believers as well the consequence that jesus says here is this that many are going to be fallen astray but really to be honest with you that is the thing that's been happening ever since the garden of eden then when god created humanity he created humanity dependent He created humanity dependent upon counsel and that you will be molded and shaped and changed by the counsel that you listen to. Whoever has your ear has your mind. Whoever has your mind has your heart. Whoever has your heart has your life. See, that's what Satan did. Satan got Eve's ear and got her to believe lies. And when he got her to doubt the word of God and doubt the character of God and doubt the authority of God, that is how Satan worked in the garden. And it's the same way he works today with you and me. He wants us to doubt. 
doubt the word. Doubt God's character. Doubt God's authority. So when he captures your mind, he will inevitably affect your heart. It's interesting in Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love or knowledge of God. A little bit later on, it says this, that my people, verse 6, are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I have rejected you. So, so what he is saying, what, what God is saying to the nation of Israel is that you stopped loving me. You stopped holding fast to me and you stopped coming to my word. And Jesus is saying, you need to be mindful that there are false teachers out there. Be biblical in your approach. Tim Challies, a um, Christian biographer, um, blogger, should say that, um, has this definition of discernment, which I like. He says this, discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. Let me do that one more time. Discernment is the skill, which is important because skill means this, that it is something that you can learn to do. You can learn to become more biblical. You can learn to become more discerning. It's a skill. So discernment is a skill of understanding. It's a knowledge of God's word, but you can't be strong in discernment if you're not in God's word. So you need to be in God's word, which is one of the great things about your program. I mean, your program of getting ladies to be deep in the word. I mean, they need to grow in that discernment, which is huge. Discernment is the skill of understanding and applying. It's not just knowing, it's applying. Trust and obey that there's no, I won't sing. Understanding and applying God's word for the purpose of separating truth from error, right from wrong. For those of us that lack discernment, we open ourselves up to being taken advantage of. We will not grow in spiritual maturity. We will find ourselves caught in cycles in our lives. We will backslide if we are believers, and if we're non-believers, we will be caught in lies. And so what do we need to do? We need to realize that discernment, knowing and being prepared, knowing God's word will open you up for life, for growth, for health, hope, Peace, joy. So what Jesus is saying here is this. The first thing he's saying is this. I want you to know that you need to see to it that nobody takes you for granted. And nobody leads you astray. The second thing he does in verses 7 through 8, watch this. He says, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. Okay. So what Jesus, now he starts with the fact that don't be taken astray. Don't be led astray. And now what he says is don't be discouraged. You know, one of the saddest things is this. As people see the breakdown of what's happening around, they find themselves getting so fear-based. As though God is not in control of everything that is happening in this world. That God is still sovereign. The world may be shaking and breaking, the chaos and the confusion, but you have a God who has not left his throne. He is sovereign. He is providential. He loves you. 
and he has orchestrated what's going to happen in history. So Jesus says, don't be discouraged. This is, he wants to give encouragement. He wants to give reassurance. He talks about the general signs that were present, I believe, just prior to the fall of the temple. But they're general signs that we are seeing even today in our lives. There are false, um, false Christ who are leading people astray. There are troubles because of wars and rumors of wars that happen. Some of us struggle with these things, and we should. Nobody wants to see bloodshed. Nobody wants to see the, the brutality of war. Jesus even wept over Jerusalem. But I want you to recognize this, that Jesus says, I don't want you to be frightened. Don't be inwardly disturbed that these things will come. The, the wars, the rumors of wars, the international tensions and the conflicts, the natural disasters that are happening are a clear sign that we live in a broken world. And as Paul wrote in Romans, the world is just groaning and looking forward to the day that God is going to break through and there's going to be ultimate freedom, ultimate hope. So, so what's the implication I want you to know that there's a fixed purpose for everything that happens. I love this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So don't don't be overwhelmed by what seems like is happening around and recognize it's only the beginning. When you see these things, the wars, the rumors of wars, the earthquakes and all that, it is just birth pains. And for those of you who have given birth, there are times where there's great pain and then it seems to calm down. And then great pain again seems to calm down. And then there's the joy of a baby that is born. I think in many ways, that's what Jesus is trying to say. So as we apply that for ourselves, I, I want you to know that the disasters that happen around us, don't lose hope. Don't lose sleep. Don't be like the world that has lost its bearings. Don't become some vulnerable and naive. Don't lose your identity. Remind yourself of who you, who you are and remind yourself of whose you are. Let's go to verse 9. So now we, we see that he began in verse thir- 5 and said, see to it that no one takes you um, for granted or takes, leads you astray. Then he said in verse 7, do not be troubled. 7 and 8, do not be troubled. Now in 9 through 13, he says, I need you to watch yourself. Be watchful of yourself. He says, but be on guard. For they will deliver you over to the councils. And then you will be beaten in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings and for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious before him what you will say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And father, his child, and child will rise against his parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So now, there are a couple questions here. There's there's clear persecution that is being talked about here. And, and what Jesus is saying, I need you to watch for yourself. Be mindful of yourself. 
He's, he's already warned that they're false Christ. He's already warned of these cataclysmic events. And now what he says is there's a coming persecution. And so now Jesus had said on four occasions, that in verses 9, 11, and 12, he says that you're going to be handed over. I should say three occasions. You're going to be handed over to the councils, handed o- delivered over to you, and then you will be delivered over to death. Now, the way that you can interpret this passage, one group will interpret this as primarily to the disciples that are going to suffer persecution, and we're going to see that in the book of Acts, prior to the fall of A.D. 70. There's others that are going to look and say that there's a future judgment that's going to come and that there are going to be people that are going to die and and be persecuted. Once again, I tend to lean on the first one. But the reality is this, even though Jesus is speaking, I believe, specifically to the disciples, the reality is this, for all of us, and especially as we're living in our nation today, as you are getting to become more biblical, you will find that you will be under greater levels of persecution. It's interesting that a Christian college made it to a place in the NCAA tournament just this week. And there were articles out there talking about that Christian um, university that they should not be in the NCAA because of their viewpoints, their biblical viewpoints on sexuality. They were supposed to be removed from the tournament, this person said, because of their biblical viewpoints on Christianity. That if you believe that you stand for life, you're viewed as hateful. So I I, I just need you to be watchful of yourself that you're living in a world today where greater persecution is going to come. And he's predicting opposition. And once again, he says, don't be discouraged. The opposition is going to come. And he says this. The heart of this is this passage. He says that the gospel must be preached to all nations. So this is where it creates some dilemma. So if you're saying that the gospel needs, needs to be spread to this whole world, this clearly has to be about the second, um, the uh, final analysis, the final future. If you're saying that the gospel has been spread to the known world, then you could be looking at this as A.D. 70. If you look at some other passages in, in Romans and then again in Acts, Paul speaks in such a way as though he says that the gospel has been preached to the world. And I tend to believe that what he's saying is that the gospel has been preached to the, in the world that is known at the time. But I don't want to hinder missionary work. We as elders come together and we, we're praying over missions, opportunities that we have where we can fund mission opportunities so that the gospel can go out. We need to have people that are gospel-saturated and gospel-sharing out of their lives. And we need to support ministries that do that. Because there are people that are here in this world today, and maybe people in this congregation, who have never trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we need to be able to know the gospel and share the gospel and see the good news of hope out of their lives. You remember, Mark began his gospel with this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus said this in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came and he said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We need to, even in this last days, know the gospel, believe the gospel, and share the gospel. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. So Jesus is saying that I need you to be watchful of yourself. 
I need you as men, women, children, I need you to be learning God's word. You need to be studying God's word. You need to be meditating on God's word. You need to be reading God's word. You need to be sharing it. We, we have the privilege, as messed up as our country is, I have the privilege of standing in a pulpit without much fear that I'm going to die or go into prison. But I can't guarantee that that's going to be the case moving forward. I have multiple Bibles in my home. I don't have a guarantee that in the future Bibles will not be taken away. If a Bible was taken away from you, how would you ever know God's word? So be watchful of yourself today. Verse 14 says this. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the readers understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The abomination of desolation, I won't take too much time to talk about this, but if you read back in Daniel, there are three times in the book of Daniel where it is talked about this abomination of desolation. And it does look to a time where... um, I'm sorry. It does look to a time when um, and uh, Epiphanes, I can't remember the first name, I'm sorry. Antiochus Epiphanes, I think it was. Antiochus Epiphanes entered, thank you, entered the Jerusalem. And what he did was he went and he sacrificed a pig on the altar. It's a desecration of the temple. And as Daniel was speaking, it was probably looking forward to that, but it could have been working forward to a future one. What Jesus says here is that there is going to be another abomination of desolation. Now Luke, the parallel passage I told you in Luke, will tell us what this is at least in part. That as the Roman army is coming towards Jerusalem to invade them, And as it's marching there, and it's coming to a place where they should not be, he should not be, let the reader understand that your desolation is coming. We need to be watchful. It's interesting that Jesus then goes on to say this. He says, when the, when, verse 14, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where you are not to be, let the reader understand, and let those who are in Judea flee. Run! Go to the hills. And this abomination is coming. And the fall is happening. The fall of Jerusalem is happening. And what most people would have done was to run within the walls of the city. And what Jesus is urging, don't run to the walls of the city. Run and get out. What Josephus tells us is that when Rome came in and invaded the city, 1.1 million people were slaughtered. No remnant was saved. A remnant was saved because a remnant heard God's word and responded to God's word and they fleed to the mountains. So, I need you to be mindful of this. Whether this is about AD 70 or about the future, the reality is this. When the time is coming, be mindful, be watchful. Last section, verses 15 through following. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. He's basically saying what they would do is they have, they didn't have these angle, these pitched roofs. What they had were flat roofs, and you would oftentimes go up on the flat roof to, to cool yourself, or you would go up there to meditate some. You remember Daniel went up on the roof to pray and meditate. So, so what you may do on that rooftop, he says, don't go up on your rooftop, get out of there. 
The one who's in the field, don't turn back and take your cloak. And then he says, and you can hear the compassion of Jesus. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that this doesn't happen in winter. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now. That also creates a, a dilemma in interpretation. Some would say that in Jerusalem itself, they have never experienced that kind of tribulation in Jerusalem itself. Or some would say that there's a future tribulation that is coming. Whatever way you interpret it, this tribulation is significant. And it says in verse 20, And if the Lord had not cut short the days, which is so helpful to me that God is still sovereign, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the lek, whom he chose, know that God chose you. He shortened the days. Verse 21. And then if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, or look, here he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead many astray, even, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. All right, so let me see if I can sum this up for you. One, Jesus begins by saying that there is a point in time where I want you to be patient, I want you to endure, I don't want you to worry, I don't want you to be afraid. I'm in control. My Father's in control. And then there's a point where he says to Jerusalem, I believe, in the fall of the temple, when you see these things happening, get out, flee. And Jesus is saying this. That there is going to be a judgment that is going to come. I believe that what scripture is teaching is that the judgment that fell on Jerusalem in AD 70 was the end of the Jewish age for salvation. That Jesus Christ, there is no longer a need for a temple. There's no longer a need for sacrifice because what Jesus is going to do in a couple of days is he's going to die on a cross. He's going to rise victoriously and the people are going to be saved. There are always going to be false Christ, brothers and sisters. There are always going to be people that are going to say that there's a new way to get to heaven. But Jesus said, I am the what? Way. I am the what? Truth. And I am the life. You know, we've got this problem of moral corruption and guilt and condemnation. What God knows that we need is we need a new nature. We need forgiveness. We need acceptance. We need reconciliation. And what does he do for us? He gives us his son. By an act of free grace, Jesus becomes your condemnation. He took on God's wrath for your sins and my sins if you trust in him. And that what we celebrate at the end of this week is what? Jesus hung on a cross and died. That God poured his holy wrath upon Christ. And he showed his holy love to you and to me. And it's not based on your character. It's not based on your work. It's not based on the sacrifices that you do in the temple. It is based on the work of Christ and Christ alone. So we need to be prepared. The reality is is that Jesus is coming back. And whether there is a tribulation, as some will say, that we will have to endure before he comes back or after he comes back, the reality is this. 
Scripture teaches that Jesus came on one advent. He came as one advent as a savior, and he will come back on another advent as judge. And we're between that time right now. And if there's a person that is hearing my voice this morning who has never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, I pray today is the day that you will turn to the only savior. Because you don't know when judgment is coming. Jesus gave some signs about judgment that may have fallen on Jerusalem. Jesus is giving you a clear sign. You have life today. You have the opportunity to choose him today. Choose life. Lord, we praise you. And thank you. Father, help us to be aware Help us to be alert. Help us to be awake. Help us to be so gospel-saturated that we can't help but being so secure that there's no condemnation. There's nothing that will ever separate us from your love. That, Lord, you are perpetually with us, so help us to be perpetually prepared for your son's return. And until that day, Father... I pray that we would be magnifying you, glorifying you, reflecting you, trusting your word, filled by your spirit, reflecting you to this world. Father, if there's someone here today who's never trusted in God, trusted in your son, I pray that your Holy Spirit would invade their hearts, bring them to life, transform them. Father, for the many of us that do believe, as we've heard so many testimonies earlier, I thank you for the fact that you're a God who can change us. The gospel transforms. So do your transformative work today in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Be blessed. How great, how great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into
Lord, we give you praise. All this applause is for you, Lord. We give you glory and honor this morning, God. Thank you that you are returning. Thank you that the end has not already happened. The end is coming. And while we live in this in-between, Lord, help us to be mindful that we need to be ready. There are no guarantees, God. There are no guarantees except for you. The only guarantee is that Christ did come, did live, did die for my sins, did rise again, and that I can find salvation only in him, in him alone. Lord, we thank you this morning for worship. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the testimonies in the Hubbing Home, God. Help us to be your hands and feet into our communities and our workplaces, to do ministry to the people that we interact with every day. Would you be glorified, Lord, this morning by our lives, by our thoughts, by our words, by our actions. And please help us this week to follow you more closely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a great week.